Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Well, hello there, everyone. Uh, welcome to the 130th edition of DF2Act Weekly, which is still somehow our weekly discussion show discussing the latest gaming and technology news. It's been a massive week, obviously, with the uh, Microsoft FTC leak. leak. If you've not seen our DF2Act special on that, go check that out. We're going to be mostly avoiding that for this one. Uh, joining me, first of all, to discuss all of the remaining news we have, uh, Alex Battaglia. Hello. Hey there, yes, a discussion hey. show where we discuss things. Uh, very, very great description there, Rich, yeah. of what DF Direct is. Yeah, it's the incisive analysis that Digital Foundry is known for. Known for, <laughs> known for yeah. that. And uh, Oliver McKenzie, hi. Hey, Rich, fun to, fun to be here. Should be a fun chat today. Or tonight, in my case. <laughs> Fingers oh, crossed. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the first news topic. Okay, so today, when this Direct goes public, it's going to be uh, the embargo for Cyberpunk 2077 Phantom Liberty. Our video will be following shortly. We should already have our PC-focused video based on 2.0 content and specifically DLSS 3.5 out there. And, um, man... Oliver, I'm going to go to you first on this mm -hmm. in terms of the console side of things. Um, when Tom basically did the preview uh, content back in the day, it looks like, you know, obviously it was looking like a fantastic game. Performance profile seemed to be pretty much unchanged. Mm -hmm. I mean, is there anything to add to that? Well, what I would basically say <laughs> is that I'm not super happy with Cyberpunk performance as of patch 1.63 on consoles. And I'm not super happy with Cyberpunk performance as of patch 2.0. In the performance mode in particular, uh, the game has quite a lot of frame rate drops out in the open world on PS5 and Series S and Series X, but all in their respective 60 FPS modes. And that basically okay. has not changed for Phantom Liberty. If anything, it might actually be a little bit worse in my testing. But in terms of the graphics, I think the game still looks good uh, in perfectly rasterized form or in uh, local shadow <laughs> RT form on the consoles. The only caveat there, obviously, well, the big caveat is that it isn't using the same ray tracing features as PC, so it's not on that level, obviously. You know, the, the art assets and the density of the world is very impressive. It's certainly comparable with some of the denser areas in Cyberpunk. There are lots of civilians everywhere. There's some really beautiful art design, like the team did a great job on that. Um, it's, a, it's a really good experience overall. It's just those frame rate drops that irritate me a little bit, but overall, it's quite a good experience. It doesn't VRR save the day? Uh, yes, VRR on a on a compatible display <laughs> mostly improves it. There's a little bit of little bit of an issue. I think I think it might be related to CPU performance a little bit on the consoles, but um, yeah, it, it, it is mostly it is it is substantially better with VRR. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. Uh, let's talk about PC, Alex, because uh, well, here's the thing, right? I mean, um, in the Microsoft leak. Uh, weekly, uh, sorry, direct special, it wasn't weekly. Um, we talked about basically next generation consoles and the kind of reticence I guess we had about what was on offer there was basically that it's not as feature rich as what's happening in the PC space like five right. years earlier, i.e. now. And um, DLSS 3.5 does appear to be the next evolution of visuals and right. it's, it's, it's phenomenal, right? 
Yeah, it's very, very good. So obviously my video is going <clears> to, <throat> and it's going to be out by this time this comes out, so I can just yeah. talk about it a bit. But there's going to be some, obviously it's going to be a lot of positives there because I actually think on like an 80% level, this is just my personal opinion. I'm not saying 80% of all my recordings look better or something like that. But like personally, I would say it's like 80% there of being like a vastly better image. And then there's some issues that come out that actually remind me a little bit of DLSS 2.0's early versions uh, issues right. that it had. Uh, so for example, I see in a couple of areas, like we saw with earlier versions of DLSS, a bit of posterization and or you might call it over sharpening on certain edges that occur. And I'll that show, show it off in my video. And I also see on some areas, depending upon the size of the object and the amount of ambient lighting, uh, so I think like small people like in the distance, cars in the distance, and also like small objects like bits of trash rolling on the ground or trash fluttering through the air. They actually have like um, some intense ghosting behind them at times. Sometimes it's not always though, like in direct sunlight, it won't occur, but it will happen in like indirect lighting situations. And I point that all out in my video. And they remind me a lot of actually a lot of the issues that DLSS 2.0 base had that were cleaned up kind of uh, over a number of year period where we now look at DLSS, uh, you know, like the latest versions of DLSS where like these things are just not an issue anymore. Mm. Um, so it's really, really interesting to see how it'll evolve over time. And uh, I think it is a bit of a DLSS 2.0 moment as a result of that. Like if you really do put them side by side in like most of the cases, it's a lot better. And the thing is you're getting a game that's also running better while looking better most of the time. And that's mm -hmm. a rare deal. That's a really rare deal. I think that's the one thing like a lot of people are just going to be like looking at like the areas where it fails, but they're not like realizing, wait, it's actually running better while looking better most of the time, which is kind of like what DLSS is all about. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, it is obviously always a trade-off because you're not doing native rendering and you're relying on, you know, something that needs, iteration time because it's an ml model that is its first iteration of it that we're seeing in a game mm -hmm. so i'm i'm super excited for the future there because i think it's going to have a similar evolution period to the original dlss regarding what oliver said about the game uh, i think now after trying it on the ryzen 5 3600 again i did measure that it was a little bit heavier on the cpu doing our little cool benchmark run there and i think that is interesting that we have such a Clear, I think it is one of those clearly CPU-limited titles on console. Uh, yeah. We don't have a lot of really good examples of it always because it's hard to get a sense of those kind of things. But I think with the fact that they use dynamic resolution on consoles uh, and it's going to be scaling, you know, whether, whether you know, based upon uh, Tom's, for example, original preview footage, he, like, noticed the scaling pretty intensely there yeah. in the moments when it was GPU-limited. But here, definitely when I was on that Ryzen 5 3600, I was also showing the footage in the video, you can definitely see it's, like, going up and down like a roller coaster, depending upon where you are in the town. Mm -hmm. uh, so that that's pretty cool to see, and I think it's going to lead to fun stuff. Uh, behind the scenes when Rich ever finds the time to use his Frankenstein's monster of a PC there to uh, uh, get some really cool benches of uh, Cyberpunk and other games that we have now the settings for, that we have the settings for. Yeah, absolutely. That is really interesting, right? Um, I think the other thing, of course, is um, uh, the concept of actually being able to use those developer streaming concepts, uh, sorry, developer streaming saves, to actually right. use the cross-save thing to bring those over to the consoles to see if they work. 
<laughs> That'd be cool. I'm kind, of, yeah. I'm kind of intrigued to give that a go because that could be quite fun. I mean, the the city one that we use is pretty much the only usable one, I think. There's another yeah. one which goes into the into the city. Um, the other thing, of course, is that that doesn't quite enter the Tom's Diner area where CPUs really seems to get absolutely hammered. Yeah. Um, but yes, I'm actually really interested um, to find actual. Uh, scenarios on consoles where we're definitely CPU limited, where beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's the CPU that's the bottleneck. And then to compare it to actually running the PC code on the Xbox uh, CP CPU via the 4800S desktop kit, that's all just really, really sort of uh, kind of just weird testing I'd like to do for some reason. I've actually got a supporter question for you here, Alex. Um, nice. It's from uh, Michael Pern. Hi, crew. Recently, I played Cyberpunk 2077 version 2.0, hoping to see if DLSS 3.5 ray reconstruction would allow for better ray-traced effects, e.g. reflection quality, without requiring the full path tracing option enabled. Sadly, this is not the case in the Cyberpunk options menu. I thought ray reconstruction could be brought to the table for all RTX features without full path tracing. Otherwise, this feature on RTX 2 and 3 cards seems pointless due to extremely heavy requirement of path tracing. I think that he's got a point there, right? Because um, surely in your uh, your roundtable, they are actually saying, actually, ray reconstruction could be really good on just standard RT effects, but it wasn't deployed in Cyberpunk. Yeah, I think this is actually just a timing issue, uh, something that Jakob also pointed out, because, um, you know, when you have a set release date and for this game they want to position it in between something like starfield they want to position it between the you know october madness um there's also things where rake reconstruction doesn't support dlaa right now so if you if you did want to play the game with for example at like 1080p or 1440p dlaa with a rtx 4 4000 series card which i think is a viable way to play the game uh you can't even use ray reconstruction there right now i think it's just kind of still not fully done in terms of how they want it perfectly integrated at the end of the day. It doesn't support DLAA. It doesn't support the other RT modes. I think that's just like a little bit of engineering and QA time that they didn't have before the game launch. And as far as I know, DLAA is planned support as well as there's planned support for, to enable it with any of the ray tracing options. Now, the one thing I wouldn't necessarily say is right now with path tracing, if you turn on RT Overdrive, it will run better with ray reconstruction on, as my video will show. Um, I don't necessarily think that might be the case with if you turn it on, if you just have like reflections on or just have RT lighting on or just RT shadows on, because I imagine those individual denoisers for those things are perhaps a bit simpler and yep. they're not as heavy. Uh, there's a Brian pointed out a two millisecond cost for the ray tracing at 4k on an rtx 4090 so if you go down the stack it's like then it goes up to like four milliseconds on something like a 3080 3090 and then it goes if you're running a 2070 or something like that it goes up to like eight milliseconds if you think yeah, about you wouldn't it be you know doing so 4K, though, if you wouldn't be doing 4k there but you know if you're doing like 1440p maybe it's like something like five to six milliseconds just for the denoising for ray reconstruction or something like that that is definitely a difference um so so yeah, uh, that's something to keep in mind when and whenever they up because this is obviously not the they're still not done with the game. They even hinted in the interview they're like, oh maybe we'll try and add some more ray tracing goodness. Jakob mentioned at one moment, mm -hmm. uh, so it's still not done. <laughs> Cyberpunk is just never done. Dauer Baustelle, I would say in German. <laughs> that's very helpful. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I don't really know if we've got too much more to add because we've got so much content either on the channel now or mm-hmm. or in the pipeline. So, uh, yeah, I guess we'll leave it there for now and just wait and see how our final analysis all shapes up. Uh, let's move on to the next topic. So this one is actually cyberpunk adjacent um, because... It was actually quite interesting to see the reaction from the press to what DLSS 3.5 is doing. And there was a general acceptance with the asterisks and the caveats that, hey, this is actually really impressive technology. Uh, and it's something that's only exclusive to NVIDIA. So in the RX 7800 XT review, I sort of had a bit, well, I wouldn't say it's a bit of a rant. It's more of a, a, an open question uh, to... Mm to the audience, to other reviewers possibly, which is simply this. If, you know, if you've got one vendor that has, you know, superior features to another vendor to the point where with Cyberpunk, and I guess with the upcoming Alan Wake, you're getting an absolutely transformed game. How do we factor that into our reviews? And more generally, we're moving into a situation now where upscaling is actually factored into engine design. Unreal Engine 5, right? I mean, go back to The Matrix Awakens. There's actually a part in that demo where it's just a showcase of all of the different technologies and how <laughs> they uh, how they merge together to produce that phenomenal effect. And uh, yeah, basically, you know, Unreal Engine 5 was built with upscaling in mind, right? How do you actually... <laughs> factor that into a GPU review where the entire basis of everybody's GPU reviews, ours included, is that we're judging all of these products based on the fact that they can actually deliver the same the same thing, the same workload, just with performance uh, differentials. But that's not the case anymore, you right. know, um, especially with DLSS, which I do think is, has been a game-changing technology, possibly more so than RT. Uh, at this point, um, it, it's just you know something that people want. We saw obviously with the uh, mods for Starfield, you know, nine hundred and sixty thousand DLSS mod downloads. Nine hundred and sixty thousand. It's clearly a technology Jesus. that people with RTX cards want. How do we factor this into reviews? And I'm actually open to a, a, a full discussion across the board. And I actually put this to supporters, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, we got some interesting, interesting uh, responses here. And um, I guess this one is actually uh, interesting. This one from Retro Sean. Hi, DF, uh, exclamation marks. When it comes to GPU benchmarks, the problem is NVIDIA's marketing team want to pretend that frame generation is the same as a higher base frame rate when we know it is not. I think you could design a review where you could include both performance data and then a section on performance stacking up the best of what upscaling has to offer between competing products. It will be a lot of extra work. <clears throat> Absolutely. This one from Struggling Shader. Hi, Rich and Crew! Exclamation point about GPU reviews and even upscaling settings recommendations. Why not use output perceived uh, quality to compare befo- uh, performance, for instance, since FSR is usually the worst looking of the imp- for the same input resolution, you can take that as a base for recommending presets and matching overall image quality, uh, the closest yeah. preset for DLSS on NVIDIA. Could be the same. It might be one or two presets lower, depending on the game. Am I wrong? I know it's a little bit subjective and a little bit of extra work, but you guys have the most credible eyes in the industry and the benchmark suite doesn't change that often. Keep up the great work, exclamation point. Um, this one from Mitten-Faced Lass. Hey, Rich, in regards to Apple's to Apple's GPU comparisons, I personally definitely think they're a bit outdated slash not that useful anymore, comparing native 4K performance in a title when it features both DLSS and FSR or 
or only one or the other, etc., isn't realistic, people are going to use the technologies that give them better and smoother experiences. Sometimes that means the competitor doesn't really have an answer, and that's fine. It's the reality of the market. If anything, I think it's... I think emphasizing that in reviews will push competitors to respond and improve those areas they're lacking in. And for the average user, it will provide an accurate view of how the hardware will serve them. Um, <clears throat> apples to apples is intellectually interesting, but at the end of the day, it's not how the hardware is used 90% of the time. Well, that, that percentage, I think, is is possibly arbitrary, but I think the sentiment <clears throat> is bag on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, o Oliver, thoughts on this? I think it's very complex. Um, I can I can see both sides of it myself. I think there's probably an. It would be really nice to have something like an objective benchmark, where we could say, you know, ISO image quality, image quality keep keep uh, keeping the same across vendors. Um, how does one card perform relative to another? I think the problem with that is that the artifacts that are created by FSR are quite different in in uh, character to the artifacts that are created by DLSS. When you really push DLSS. I think they're quite different. And also just because uh, the existence of such a tool <laughs> is uh, a little a little questionable. There, there's some um, some interesting stuff from Netflix, I know, on comparing different video and comparing different yeah. compression models, but I'm not totally sure that it's applicable for us. Obviously, you guys could speak a little bit more to that because you, I think, have, have taken a look at that. Um, I, yeah. I think on the other end of the spectrum, you could just go completely subjective and say, well, you know, this card is really good, for instance, if you're just reviewing a card in general, like this card might be really good for ray tracing at this resolution, or this card might be giving you a good experience in games with full path tracing at this resolution because of ray reconstruction potentially on the NVIDIA side and general graphics performance. But obviously that isn't going to satisfy people who just want to see bar charts. So I really don't know how you resolve that, at least in the short term, with something that is going to be um, appropriately objective while still capturing the necessary data and information. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Alex, what do you think? Yeah, I'm actually, I love Mitten Face Glass's uh, thing there because I posted about it on Twitter, but Tom's Hardware also in their DLSS 3.5 Cyberpunk review, they they literally said this outright. They're like, we don't know what's going to happen with the GPU market right now. This is, NVIDIA's got these huge advantages. Um, and I think the keeping with the old uh, just benchmarks at like settings like 4K Ultra native just doesn't make any sense anymore. It's It would be like going back to the year 2003 to 2005 and or actually I'd say like 2002 to 2004 and you're just like looking at DX7 performance at that point in time or something <laughs> like that. You're not paying attention to DX8.1, DX9. And you're not kind of like, and the cards are changing. They're they have they're offering vastly different experiences if you go up to DX9. But you're just like, I want to play Max Payne. I want to do Quake Three Arena benchmarks, and this isn't very helpful to the to the user to understand how do I get the most interesting new graphical experience in a game with performance and good image quality and all these things. So if you just kept doing DX7 benchmarks like then you'd be out of date. And I feel like that's the, the way the benches are right now. As to how we do it, I think I talked about this. It had to have been like two years ago, and we also saw it a bit in the discussion that I had the roundtable with Brian and Jakob there where it's like the, the subjective experience of playing the game is really important. And since we do lack great objective tools at the moment that I think Rich can talk about really quickly about our the thing we just tried out, uh, that we need to increase the size of the conclusion of the benchmark <laughs> video. 
Yeah. Um, because, and that conclusion includes a lot of things like where you say like, okay, I just talked about those graphs, but how are you actually using this in experience? And you say like, maybe uh, the other suggestion here is like in this game, you'd maybe want to use FSR performance on an AMD GPU, but, or sorry, a, a quality mode, 4K quality mode. But on the a, NVIDIA GPU, you can get away with balanced or performance and have maybe even objectively better image quality still in some areas. And you talk about it, you, you weigh the subjectivity of it at the end of the review, and then you let the user decide. Um, so yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe the argument is that there is some kind of test for upscaling on specific titles, and then we actually test on the resolutions best suited to that card. Um, that possibly, but yeah, I mean, in terms of the um, the test that we're talking about, I think Oliver just alluded to it, that there's actually a number of image quality comparison uh, models based on AI that are out there now, uh, used by the likes of Netflix to you know figure out decent image quality. One of them is really interesting because it was trained simply by giving people uh, access to two video streams and comparing them and then they would say which one they thought was best subjectively hmm. and when that is done you know thousands upon thousands of times with different people inherently you know basically the biases emerge and you get a model that basically gives you the opportunity to assess video quality. And we actually did this on DLSS versus FSR2 in Cyberpunk 2077. And um, the, <laughs> the, basically it gives you a, um, a quality result between naught and one. Okay, obviously there's lots of decimal, decimal points involved. So you could say like one to 10,000, if you like, yeah. um, just by changing the decimal <laughs> point. In virtually every scenario, DLSS came out better than, than uh, FSR2. However, the actual number generated wasn't actually that much different. And um, so we put together some, actually, we took all of the DLSS versus FSR2 examples from um, Alex's Starfield video mm -hmm. and tested those as well. And again, DLSS was better than FSR2, quantifiably better according to this. But the thing that sort of didn't sit right with me was the fact that stuff, for example, that fiery example from your Starfield um, yeah. comparison, it's pretty blatant that FSR just isn't coping very well. DLSS copes better, but it wasn't reflected in the score that was, that was right. pumped out. And... Um, I honestly think that maybe the, the model is just looking for compression artifacts. And I think <laughs> I, and as opposed to, you know, seeing what is objectively a better or subjectively a better image. And I think it was just the fact that uh, the nature of FSR2 artifacting is a bit, bit noisier, right? And so that was actually coming back um, from the model as, as like more pronounced compression artifacting. So the search goes on for some kind of tool to objectively measure image quality or subjectively via a neural network. <sighs> tricky, really, really tricky, tricky. Tricky stuff, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just sort of seeing what, uh, oh, this support question here from David Laszlo. Hi, hey, DF, I can see the need for the image quality comparison. To be honest, this is one of my gripes about GPU reviews. They just show raw numbers. I think it would be good for users to actually see why upscaling X is better than upscaling Y. You see, that's kind of like a different topic, which Alex does quite well in his 
his adjacent content. Oh Maybe a God. small section in the GPU review could be to match the GPUs in various titles which support both DLSS, FSI, and XCSS. The goal of the section is to identify where the picture quality really falls apart, just like Alex does in his PC videos. For example, FSI users can enjoy a good close to native presentation in balance mode while DLSS could go down to performance mode. This would show the value of the features of the feature on the card. I'd say five to 10 minute segment in a handful of titles can be enough to show the user what can be achieved. Yeah, there, there, there is merit to that. Um, this is quite interesting because we had a conversation with Tom Peterson with uh, Intel about this um, last year, right, Alex? And he yeah. was coming up with the notion of basically like a canned sequence that is run on all of the upscalers and then um, compared to what you might call ground truth. And where there are deviations, there would be some kind of, I don't know what it was, um, a, a visual highlight or maybe a heat map. Yeah, it was our, like the heat maps that we have actually as part of FPS detect, FPS GUI, Rich. You know, mm. like the, the difference between frame stuff? Could yeah, it. Uh -huh. it could. <clears throat> yeah, but we, so this is something Brian alluded to in, in uh, uh, Brian uh, Catanzaro when we were talking to him, but talking about the training process for DLSS 3.5. They are using Omniverse and Unreal Engine uh, most likely five. Uh, I didn't actually say which version. I'm pretty sure it's five because <laughs> the path tracing there. But um, but they they're probably using something like Matinee uh, or whatever they call it these days. I forget it. It's the you know the the frame like the ability to track the track view the camera along a way and have the settings be perfect. But you know that's a lot of setup time. We could do it though. John's done these things before for videos. It would not be that hard to have him make a sequence. And then you could just run on different computers. But, you know, there's the issue that not everything is deterministic in video game rendering. So yeah. you'd have to really make sure it is a ridiculously determinist. Like, it's literally the exact same every single time. And I don't know how possible that is. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, like, yeah, like, what are you achieving with this scenario? It would have to be pretty... It would have to show off all the different things. Like, you've got third-person games. You've got first-person games you've got camera whip pans and all these things that a user can do with a mouse and or controller the mouse is so differentiating on pc it is like i talked about before with the checkerboard yeah. rendering i was like yeah that maybe works really well on a controller where you're soft, soft panning but on a mouse you're just like Zoop, and you're all of a sudden like at a completely different area and it's like what happens now and this is one of the test cases that you don't get on console and you'd have to somehow maybe reflect that there. It's a lot. It's I like the idea a lot, but I have the, the, the there's the danger there of that becoming like the test bed and the thing that we use as a, an objective measuring, but it's maybe not really representative. And if it's maybe overemphasizing certain aspects by accident, because mm -hmm. uh, you don't have the huge suite like the I haven't done one of them in a while, but the image quality videos that I did, like there was those ten. I don't know how many points there were. There were too many points. <laughs> it was so it was so hard to make those videos, people. And you can't definitely do that for each and every GPU review. It, it would take so much time. Yeah. Those things took like a week and a half by themselves, maybe even two weeks almost. So ah, this is a hard one. I would love to have the ability to hand this work off to an AI that says. Oh, I know what ghosting is. Oh, I know what fizzle is. I know what aliasing is. Yeah. Yeah. I would like that. Any further thoughts, Oliver? Well, I think also one further problem um, that could potentially pop up is the fact that I think DLSS implementations and XCSX implementations, maybe just by their AI nature and their generalizable nature, are actually relatively similar between games. 
But with FSR2, there are some really nasty ones like Remnant 2. Uh, it's FSR yeah. implementation, FSR2 implementation, at least at launch, looked like really bad. Um, it had all kinds of artifacting everywhere. It might have been using the earlier 2.0 version. I'm not totally sure. It looked quite bad and that was very apparent even just using the PC version for a few minutes to test uh, image quality against consoles. So it would be it's a little bit hard to say okay here's a generalizable case for uh, FSR versus right. XCSS versus DLSS because the FSR implementation or I mean to be fair the other implementations of other upsamplers uh, could be bad in that particular title right? You're right. Uh, this question from point. Nico Simmons. Uh, no question per se. <laughs> I just enjoyed the AI visuals roundtable tremendously. Exclamation point. Thanks. Uh, thank you for providing insight straight from the crucible of the foundry, my go-to <laughs> place for this kind of topic. <laughs> Perhaps. How do you, Richard, and the others from the team perceive the quote-unquote stance of many gamers also on the PCMR subs that upscaling and frame gen are not quote-unquote real frames? I feel there is a great potential there for further elaborating. Entirely agree with what has been said on the roundtable myself, but I fear many people will simply not spend the time to watch <laughs> the longer roundtable video and kind of miss the point. It's not NVIDIA PR. This is intrinsically valuable for all GPU vendors and us gamers because this is where we are headed, out of necessity even. I know this was discussed often on the Direct, but it might be a nice quote-unquote backtrack or highlight in the coming DF Direct. Have a great rest of the week, you all. <laughs> Great, uh, exclamation point awesome work especially the last few months I feel you really put in the work and it shows um, mm. yeah this whole concept of fake frames um, and uh, I think the, the key point from the uh, round table from CDPR itself was we fake everything the whole <laughs> the whole concept of rendering is that it's faking an effect um, is that an accurate summary of, of, of that point I think it's worth sort of highlighting Alex yeah and Oliver can obviously say something about this too, but um, if you like just try and get anything rendered on the screen, uh, you're making already incredible trade-offs versus what reality is. And it's all at that point, it's all an approximation. It's all an emulation or a simulation of what it is. It's all trying to cheat to get as much performance as possible. Um, so in that case, and it just goes back through time itself, like John did a video on water rendering throughout the years for DF Retro. Go back in time on that and look at all the way we all could recognize it in our brain as water from the, you know, from like the NES up until now. We were saying that in our brains because we could identifiably recognize it due to certain characteristics, but they were all just variations and improvements on cheating to get to the point of where we actually have like H2O particles and they're simulated as a giant mass that moves continuously. It doesn't even make sense to do that. But, you know, like, it's all cheats. So this new era of cheats is maybe <laughs> also uh, like a necessity, as mentioned here by Nico, where the cost to relay the cost, like Moore's Law is dead, saying that isn't just talk like they're obviously making these processors faster. The 4090s a, a ridiculously chunk faster than the 3090. Um, but the thing is, like, how can they get the cost? Isn't Moore's Law also talking about reducing the cost as well, too? Or is it just the doubling the production, uh, the size? I don't remember. But basically, you're not communicating that price difference to the, the consumer anymore. So that's part of it. And this is a way of extracting more performance in a smarter way, saying Silicon doesn't just need to be about 
doubling the amount of GPU compute we have, but it's using a different style of compute to enhance the the, the presentation. So I intrinsically agree with all that. I think it's amazing. I thought the answer from Jakob and Brian on this point were really amazing. Uh, and I always will pose the question of what do you think looks more realistic? A uh, 480p DVD of The Matrix or The Matrix Awakens demo running on an Xbox Series X? What do you think looks more realistic? I don't know. I, I would say that 480p DVD or whatever it is. So. Okay. Uh, well, just to, uh, it's for clear, to, <laughs> just, to yeah. just to just to clear it up, Moore's law is the observation that the number of transistors in an integrated circuit doubles about every two years. There's nothing really about cost there. It's just been okay. the, the sort of adjacent thing to Moore's law, which is that you know the processes have typically allowed for cost reductions as well, and the cost reductions don't seem to be happening anymore based on that Xbox leak where a 2024 Xbox Series X is slated to cost the same as a 2021. Um, yeah. Same great price. Same great same, price. Same great price. Adorably all digital. Adorably <laughs> all digital. I think, you know, just to put a cap on the whole um, uh, GPU thing, I saw a, a bar chart yesterday for uh, Cyberpunk. And it was basically 4K native path traced which is an entirely useless bar chart to put together, right? And it starts with the 4090 running at like 34 frames per second. E you know, even if you've got the 4090, you're not going to be using native resolution rendering because it's just a stupid way to deploy the resources of the 4090. Why produce the bar chart in the first place uh, other than to impose an artificial apples to apples uh, sort of um, metric that will apply to all GPUs? but not the way they're actually going to be used. It's yeah. nuts. I don't get it. I, you know, just to be clear, benchmarks aren't going to go away, right? Because eventually we'll reach the point where there will probably be feature parity at some point in the future. Who knows when that will actually be? Because, you know, NVIDIA is literally like, I don't know, um, at least three years ahead, I'd say, possibly five for the competition um, based on, you know, the deployment of these new features and and the sort of, staggered response from the competition and you, you can't really ignore that anymore i don't think and the the fact is also that dlss is so pervasive now in different titles to the point where if it doesn't have it somebody makes a mod to add it <laughs> obviously it's got to be factored into a gpu review um but yeah it's kind of yeah. like poss possibly the beginning of the end of the bar chart until we have that that parity again and who knows when that will be if ever Let's move on to the next topic. Okay, so extra controversy this week as it was uh, the release for Mortal Kombat 1 and we finally got to see the Nintendo Switch version of the game. Now, this is an interesting one because um, the developer targeted uh, the current generation of consoles, right? But Switch was added as well. And the thing about Switch is that it's obviously not as powerful as the last generation of consoles. One might even argue it's like one and a half to two generations behind. So you've got this game basically developed for entirely different hardware, deployed <laughs> to vintage 2015 NVIDIA mobile technology, and uh, it was pretty disastrous. Oliver, um, obviously uh, Tom is producing the content for this. He has shared for some assets with us. And it is looking Assets. bad. Assets. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry yeah. for the emphasis on it. The Assets. thing is, that the reason we're talking about it here is uh, <laughs> the actual news point is that um, uh, Ed Boon, 
has said that uh, the Switch's issues will quote unquote absolutely be addressed. And my response to that is in block capitals, but how? <laughs> mm-hmm. I think, Thoughts? yeah, I think that's very fair. I don't understand exactly how this is going to happen. Uh, for, for a bit of a, a recap on the game itself, the Switch version renders at quite a low resolution. Uh, the game runs with quite a low frame rate as well. I think Tom has it as 20 to 60 FPS during gameplay. It has limited lighting detail, no facial animation in cutscenes, all kinds of bugs. It's a nasty situation, and I agree, totally agree with you that the idea of developing a cross-platform title across both current-gen systems and the aged Nintendo Switch is daunting. Mm. I can't imagine that's an easy process, but the results just aren't right. good enough in this case. I would personally like to stake a, a claim here that I don't think they'll fix the issues in a way that, to a, to a level where the game will actually be a good experience on Switch. That's my uh, suspicion. Uh, in part because I took an, uh, a look at a number of games that have actually been improved on Switch for an upcoming video, and even for the games that I identified as being substantially improved on Switch, it's often things that are a little bit more on the minor side, like stable performance or the addition of a post-processing effect or two. It's not usually like a dramatic overhaul in the game's visual presentation and gameplay presentation to players. So I have to say, I think with a game like this, it's simply a better idea to target the game towards consoles that can actually handle it and not 2015 era mobile NVIDIA graphics hardware. That's my opinion. Mm, I mean, the issues will absolutely be addressed, says Ed Boone. And uh, I've got a bullet point list here from Tom of of the issues that need to be addressed. (laughs) 20 to 60 (laughs) FPS performance in actual fights. Uh, This is the thing, right? Mortal Kombat 11 um, was was substantially paired back on Switch, but it kept the frame rate. It was really good. Yeah. Um, Yeah, basically the cameo stuff just causes uh, big frame rate drops, and that's one of the big uh, sort of additions to the game. Loading times, 40 seconds to get into a fight uh, on PlayStation 5, 8 seconds. Visual bugs, flickering shadows, hair cloth physics glitches, no jaw animations on the reptile (laughs) character, missing geometry pop-in. Um, low resolution, I think you know, that's to, that's to be expected. 576p to 756p docked. Uh, 396p to 720p portable. Oh, yeah. And uh, Tom actually shared this nice image, which actually I was quite happy about because it really does suggest that Chad Warden has made a, <laughs> his debut in a Mortal Kombat title. I mean, it is just the pose, but Chad in Mortal Kombat has got to happen, surely. That's the way. That's the way to fix the Switch version. <laughs> uh, thoughts on this one, uh, Alex? It's 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 yeah. an up, uphill struggle, really, isn't it? Yeah, I just like Oliver. I just don't see. Um, I feel like they. This is slightly. I mean, I feel like this is slightly another realm issue where, like, they didn't have to do this. They didn't have to release the game on Switch, right? Um, and kind of like with their PC ports, like they're not necessarily handled with the same grace as the other console versions. Um, and like here, they, they just didn't need to port it to Switch. I think since they targeted PS5 and Xbox Series X here, um, a lot of the base visual content just doesn't run. Hence why they turn off uh, facial animations. Like you don't just turn off facial animations like normally in a game, right? So obviously, whatever the deformation is on the faces, the amount of bones, et cetera, it just doesn't scale. If they put it on Switch, it would run at like zero FPS or something like that. So they turned it off. They literally turned it off. So that was the... And as as soon as you started getting to the, we turn off entire systems, kind of like 
turning off the Nemesis system on the PS3 version of whatever the heck that game is called, Shadow of Mordor, uh, like where you start losing the purpose of the game's existence on top of the visual issues, on top of like other uh, performance issues. Then you just start going to, there's no reason to have this port. It's like started getting into that, like we can run Doom on the Jag uh, mm-hmm. kind of like it's like it's it's taking away a lot of the experience to the point where we're there's not a good one anymore it's losing the core element of the game and i think yeah like alvar said i don't know what they do to s- save this in a way that we would still want to recommend it maybe they could get it objectively running better in certain areas but it would have to be so monumental that it just seems insurmountable okay uh this question from martin peters <laughs> martin peters. Uh, mortal combat one switch ports uh keeps on getting widely boxed for its visual degradations compared to other versions, PC Gamer is even calling it, quote-unquote, terrifyingly hilarious. <laughs> I think indeed it is mainly the eye shading of the characters that makes it look weird at times, but isn't something else at play here too? A specific game-slash-conversion being widely mocked on the social media because it is the popular thing to do? This could also be seen with T-Loop 1 PC conversion, where the exact same videos of the exact same rare glitches were shared over and over again on socials. And actually, some of those glitches weren't even from the PC version. Yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> my real question, aren't people on socials mocking specific games maybe just too much sometimes to attract views just for fun and quote-unquote schadenfreude? This could make some issues that games have seem much larger than they really are, influencing people's opinions heavily, and developers might actually suffer from this. Is this becoming a problem in your eyes? Um I'm not sure it's a problem because, you know, memes surrounding game bugs have been there for like, you know, decades. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it obviously it can be cruel. It can be out of context. It, there's never any nuance. But often there is a kernel of truth there. And in, the, in this case, Mortal Kombat 1 on the Switch is, is sort of veering pretty close to disaster territory, right? So... I don't know. The thing is, it's people making fun of, of crap things is is just something that happens, right? <laughs> any any input on that one? Uh, well, I mean, I think that in part with this title in particular, there is a very good reason as to why the game is being mocked. Uh, certainly with other titles, it could be a little bit more cherry-picked. And in this case, there are some bugs that are being maybe cherry-picked a little bit. But I have a different standard for like what punters on Twitter are saying uh, versus <laughs> what... like. <laughs> for instance, we would say, or or another outlet would say, in a in a more considered right. and, and careful uh, review. So I don't really think it's a problem personally. I'll I'll tell you what is the problem. It's the completely disingenuous comparisons. It's like oh here's Gears for, uh, four in you know 2014 or whatever, oh, yeah. and here's the latest game, and the latest game looks a lot worse when they're not comparable in any way whatsoever. That's kind of like, like a lot better. <laughs> there's, 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 there's definitely a distinction between bad actors uh, who are just, you know, um, trying to make a point, trying to get uh, views slash impressions. Since now you get paid for it on on Twitter slash X, mm-hmm. and and actually oh just you know making fun of a game or um, pointing out issues that are that are genuine concerns, like you know Mortal Kombat One on Switch. Um, definitely, right. you know, th- there's definitely a PSA angle to beneath the amusement. Right? I I agree with that, and I I see some comments on fora and on uh, under the YouTube videos that I make about PC versions where I I have a heavy focus on stuttering 
and it's this very subjective thing for me where I say <laughs> yeah. like I literally just don't play games that stutter all the time or stutter semi frequently just because it just my my brain turns off when I see it. And I make a big deal about it in the videos because I so desperately want it to be fixed because I know it doesn't need to be there. Mm -hmm. I know it doesn't need to be there. So it is technically not, I'll make a video that's like 40% about that. 40% of your game experience is maybe not objectively stuttering. But for me, I think it, since I'm trying to put the critical view on it so that it does get fixed, I focus heavily on it. So. I see a lot of comments on videos saying like Alex is overemphasizing these things. Maybe people are overemphasizing issues, certain specific issues with that switch port and there's actually more pressing ones. Or with like T-Loop T 1, uh, there technically you could have blazed through that game on launch on like a super high-end processor, right? Mm -hmm. But that wasn't what the, the like the base experience was and it wasn't if we just said that oh yeah you can blaze through a game on a super high-end processor oh stuttering's not bad you can just ignore it then we're not actually making the games better at that point point at that point with our critiques so sometimes overemphasizing issues if you're not trying to just mock something it can actually be very productive so that's another thing to say well here's the thing you know basically since we've started highlighting the issues with pc games and stuttering we've actually brought it to uh you know to prominence yeah and often it gets fixed you know what if we hadn't done that uh, i guess the classic example would have been uh, sackboy adventure which was you know just shame <laughs> yeah, it was basically disastrous at launch and um they fixed it you know that's basically mm -hmm. an example of reacting to a critique positively right and it is constructive criticism this is all about making games better and let's make something clear here a lot of the stuff which you point out for stuttering is actually uh, something that is not how the, you know, the game should not be running like this. And more to the point, usually it doesn't run like that on the consoles. Yeah. Why so. should the PC user be disadvantaged? I'm still sort of a bit annoyed that, you know, um, often the case, I mean, we go into a triple A uh, release on the PC, kind of girding our loins and expecting the worst. Um, because we've been yeah. disappointed so many times. There can be no argument that the, the state of PC gaming on, uh, on AAA in particular is in a particularly perilous state at the moment. And somebody needs to step up to say, it's you know, this isn't good enough. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, it, it just wrangles me again. You know, go back to those uh, sort of GPU reviews with those bar charts, 4090 running at like 200 frames per second. Doesn't matter if you suddenly have a frame time spike, which is like half a second. You know, it just doesn't. The experience is completely ruined if that is happening. That is not the way it should be functioning, mm -hmm. and you know that's part of the technical critique. And uh, that is the end of my rant. <laughs> nice. Um, let's move on to the next news topic. Okay, so uh, we're not going to talk too much about the uh, FTC leak and the various PDFs, but one thing that did actually uh, uh, sort of spring to mind was uh, comments from Activision that they were briefed on Switch 2 last year, and uh, Bobby Kotick is saying that basically we're looking at uh, last-gen level performance, uh, you know, PS4 style, uh, which I think would be you know not bad for a mobile device. But the point is, I think... That is only a fraction of what these new machines, what these new handhelds actually offer. Uh, wouldn't you agree, Oliver? Yeah, I think it's an interesting quote that nonetheless doesn't totally align with what 
we think we know about the Switch 2, because <laughs> just as one example, uh, could a PS4 play a game like Breath of the Wild at an effective 4K60 resolution, right? Which is the, the rumor about the Switch 2. Uh, the Switch isn't rendering a 4K pixel grid on every frame, presumably it's using DLSS, but I don't think in terms of a visual output that the PS4 could match that on the same level, even if the PS4 was capable of uh, 4K visual output. Uh, likewise for Matrix right. Awakens, you know, maybe there's a version of that that could run on last-gen hardware, but certainly in anything like its current state, that demo is not running on a PlayStation 4. So in, in terms of the raw hardware horsepower, I would suspect the Switch 2 could be falling in line with the capabilities of a PlayStation 4 or an Xbox One, but um, I don't really think in terms of the actual rendering power the Switch 2 might, might bring to the table in terms of offering DLSS, uh, bringing that to the table. Um, I think the Switch 2 should should be able to outperform those consoles, at least in scenarios where that technology is being effectively used. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, you could argue that the uh, Steam Deck is broadly comparable to a last-gen console, and yet we've got Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart running really well on it, <laughs> which <laughs> right. definitely wouldn't happen on a last-gen console. And fundamentally, it's not just about sort of uh, GPU horsepower. There's a lot more that goes into the makeup of a console, and obviously the CPU is important, but obviously the storage is important as well right mm -hmm. and um you know solid state storage is a game changer um for, for the current generation and it is you know opening the door to more experiences on the steam deck and so it will on the switch too uh, the other thing which we can be pretty certain about is that the switch 2 has the same hardware decompression technology or similar hardware decompression uh, technology to the current generation of consoles which is going to have a, a radical uh, impact on loading times Oh, that'd be um, great. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on this, Alex? I mean, fundamentally, I think it, it sort of ignores some of the lessons learned even from the original Switch, which is that it doesn't really matter what the level of horsepower is. Features play a big part too. I mean, you know, that Maxwell-class GPU <laughs> basically was a modern GPU and therefore opened the door to um, uh, ports of games that had no business running on it. Yeah, right. And um, as we saw... I mean, there's a lot of things like that. If it is Ampere, it's got like hardware VRS, it's got DLSS, it's got uh, ray tracing, it's got all the advances that have happened to the DirectX 12 models since then baked into the hardware. Um, things that Xbox One and PS4 definitely don't have at all. Um, has access to a lot more RAM usable ram most likely i think that's yeah. the one part of the leak that no there's isn't a good idea of yet necessarily how much system well the, the there rumor is. is there's going to be 12 gigs of memory um i've also heard eight uh, this isn't really confirmed at the moment yeah so like there's all those things you know oh there's so much that that is making that switch so much better and i think also it's not just a low-end maxwell thing like you said with the original switch where there we saw presentations and examples from uh, developers like uh, Rebellion who would go the extra mile mm -hmm. and do really low-level work that you're just not going to get out of a, a PC or an Android part at that yeah. point. So, yeah, you know. Mm -hmm. Okay, I think we just have to wait and see what they're going to come up with. But I'm hoping for surprises. I am indeed. In fact, here it is. This Dell laptop here has... Um, RTX 2050, which is the weakest ass Ampere <laughs> GPU money can buy. And uh, I'm having fun experimenting with it. You know, I've managed to get it down into sort of um, uh, what you'd expect the GPU clocks for a Switch 2 to be like. 
and mm-hmm. I'm going to be starting on that content pretty much when this direct finishes. So uh, yeah, we're going to have some interesting fun and games with that. Um, let's move on to the next news topic. Final news topic of the week, and it's actually a really uh, sort of bizarre, interesting story that started off looking pretty bleak, but had a happy ending, so to speak. Um, Oliver, care <laughs> to take this one up? Yeah, so basically, uh, the Matrix Awakens demo, um, obviously extremely, extremely impressive. And the other day I was basically thinking, I think it was on Saturday night, uh, I should check out the game on Series S, because obviously we have those Nintendo leaks that we were just discussing with the mm. game potentially running on on a, on a Nintendo Switch 2 or hypothetical Switch successor. So I booted the game up, and right away the game is stuck on this connecting screen loop that would repeat every minute or so after the various license yeah. holder videos. I checked it out in offline mode with the console totally disconnected from the internet. It didn't fix anything, obviously. Tried the same on Series X, tried the same on PS5. Um, I left the game for about an hour or so on all those consoles that wasn't being fixed. So I went on Twitter and I searched around and I saw that some other people were having issues too. So then I I posted about it. Um, And I thought at the time the game might be gone for good because as you remember, the game was delisted, I think about nine months after release and presumably the game has a lot of license holders attached to it, which might make that situation a little bit more difficult. And you know, the fact that they need an online authentication to begin with sort of suggests that maybe the rights might be, you know, not in indefinite term. Um, yeah. but ultimately it, it, it has been resolved. So I'm very, very thankful for that. And I think it's a very good thing because I think the demo as it currently uh, exists represents a high watermark for console real-time graphics rendering, even, you know, now coming up on two years after its release, I don't think we've seen any oh full featured games that have really come <laughs> to this level of graphical quality. So I'm very happy that's happened. Yeah, I mean, you've you flagged it to me and uh, I checked it out on my PlayStation 5 and lo and behold, it didn't work. And um, well, this this demo is still incredible to this day, right? And this was Epic basically making a statement about what Unreal Engine 5 is going to do for this generation of consoles. So the concept that you couldn't go back and revisit that, I thought it was really, really bad. So I did actually contact Epic and say, look, this is this is just not working anymore. What's going on? And uh, it took a couple of days, but it just turned out that the uh, the servers weren't active or not functioning properly. And I'm assuming there was some sort of, they turned them off and on again. And uh, everything is back to normal and everything works. And, and I think that's fine. I think it's excellent news that you can actually now access the Matrix Awakens again, because it is, you know, it's going to be an important reference point for the whole generation. That content should be accessible. And um, okay, fine, if the, the license rights have expired and you can't, uh, download it anymore but for those that already have it they should be able to enjoy it the concept that that this demo has has some kind of online check-in though is absolutely bizarre, bizarre because th- there's no on- online component to it so quite why this is happening i don't i don't understand i can only assume possibly you're right oliver that there needs to be some kind of kill switch or 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 something involved, or maybe they're just tracking telemetry or something like that. But I really hope that they um, uh, they, they, they go back and just remove whatever this check is, assuming it doesn't have any importance to the content, simply because it, this demo needs to be preserved, right? Now, you can obviously access the city sample element of it on PC. You know, that's always right. going to be there. But that isn't the whole demo. The whole Matrix part of it is completely removed on PC, which is a real shame because the press yeah, photos, man. 
the press show photos of that original demo um, uh, were taken on, I'm assuming, PC because they have a much higher resolution and clarity <laughs> and fidelity than the console versions. So there was no, there's no preservation angle for this demo beyond its existence on the consoles. And um, this whole situation proves to me how delicate and fragile um, having a, a piece of content tied to an online authentication system actually is, because it could go wrong at any time. I mean, John often talks about, oh, you know, Microsoft might turn off their Xbox Live servers in the future and we'll lose all of this content. But this is actually something quite different. It was just, as I understand it, a genuine mistake. Mm -hmm. right? Just a, a bit of a bug that cropped up. And, you know, what happens in the future when, um, you know, that server, you know, already doesn't seem to have a lot of priority with Epic. So, you know, what happens in the future when, you know, it might just disappear. That means we lose access to this incredible piece of content that sets the stage for the entire generation, in a sense. I just don't yep. think that's great. Anything to add to that? No, you surmised my any points I would say really well, Rich. <laughs> Okay, thanks. Uh, well, that's it. That's the yeah, that's it. Thanks for uh, thanks for validating my viewpoint. Okay, so let's move on to supporter Q and A. This is the part of the show where every week I put out a call for questions for inclusion in uh, any given episode of DF Direct Weekly. Typically, get like I don't know fifty to seventy. Too many to answer. We can only choose the ones that think that you know possibly we've got something of interest to add let's start off with this one from alan hi df team what do you think sony and uh nintendo's reaction to the proposed gen 10 xbox will be playstation 6 arm cpu uh etc things will change in the coming years tech wise but the starting pistol has been fired exclamation point so what are we looking at for gen 10 minimum specs uh, this is an interesting right one right oliver because um, there was actually quite a specific list of specs for the 10th gen Xbox being mooted there. And um, obviously the whole strategy, the whole sort of hybrid cloud thing was in there as well. Put yourself in the position of like Sony and Nintendo. What do you think they're going to make of that? On the Nintendo side, certainly their develop console development wouldn't be affected by this because as far as we're aware, their console development is obviously in its extremely late stages for their upcoming uh, Switch successor console. Um, and then on the Sony side, I, I don't know, maybe they could change things in response to this. It, it certainly seems on the surface like they are faced with the same constraints as Microsoft or similar constraints, maybe even to a greater degree because I think they would want to lock in uh, hardware backwards compatibility. I think that's something that's quite important for them. So they're still looking down the path of like, okay, maybe we do a Zen, more modern Zen processor. Maybe it's Zen 6 uh, in terms of the console um, life cycle period. Uh, and then on the mm -hmm. GPU side, they're looking at a more modern AMD GPU. And they probably want to throw in some kind of neural processor in there if they don't think that AMD's ML performance is up to, up to task. So I think they're, you know, I think their spec, at least at this point, probably does look fairly similar to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what do you reckon there, Alex? Yeah, I think since they have that same grab bag of AMD technology to grab from, and I guess from everywhere else too, like they're all going to be going and shopping at, you know, like when it comes to RAM and when it comes to any other sort of aspect of this. So I would I would hope they're looking to differentiate themselves again in some capacity. Uh, I don't know what kind of tech that would be. I can't really say off the top of my head, but 
anything that gets around and helps make games easier to make and come out in a better you know just looking better at the same time that'd be really awesome so sony if you look at that presentation around the stuff that isn't maybe so hardware focused but you look at like the 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 vision of cloud integration the console there with ai that microsoft had and you maybe have your own spin or different ideas there maybe that's the differentiation that they'll see as a result of this presentation that leaked yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think you're right, Oliver. That Nintendo probably maybe simply raise an eyebrow and move on because it <laughs> yeah, doesn't really right? doesn't really relate to their own plans. In terms of Sony's reaction to it, um, I don't think there's any surprises here for them, right? Because they're going to be talking to exactly the same partner for their uh, upcoming design, possibly, and they'll have access to the same roadmaps. They'll have an idea of their silicon budget, which will be broadly the same as as um, Microsoft's, and then they'll just continue to to do what they want to do, right? And um, I don't think it's going to have a huge impact on their thinking there. And it, there's probably nothing there that genuinely surprises them because you know they've got access to the same timelines, the same technologies, and um, you know they just move on. And if you actually look at what Sony did with um, PlayStation Five. They made a lot of really good decisions on how to use that AMD technology, um, arguably more efficiently than Xbox, right? Because, you know, we've got a three, as I said in the DF Direct the other day, uh, a smaller slice of silicon is producing comparable performance, if not higher performance in actual shipping games, which is, you know, which is quite a feat, I think. <laughs> so, you know, the other thing I think to bear in mind is that, um, you know, when I've spoken to Mark Cerny, he's... He's got his own vision for what he wants to achieve with a console, in, you know, working in conjunction with his team. Every time I've spoken to him, he's, he doesn't really seem particularly interested in what anyone else is doing, right? Mm. You know, that's 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 the nature of the guy. He's, he's focused, razor focused on what he wants to achieve with the tools that are available to him and uh, where those, you know, technologies don't exist, Um you know, he helps to to create them in, in working in conjunction with AMD. So yeah, I don't think there's actually going to be that much of a reaction. And to be honest, looking at that sheet when it actually came up, I wasn't particularly surprised by anything that was was there. It just sort of seems almost like a continuity console. There's some interesting stuff with uh, machine learning, of course, with the MPU. But you know, with the state of things on PC, they've got to be doing that. It had to be yeah, in there. right. Uh, okay, so the next question, this one's from Andre Serles. Uh, gentlemen, there's been talk of hybrid consoles in the next generation. In your opinion, what features could be offloaded to cloud and what would stay on the local machine? Uh, thoughts on this one, Alex? I mean, I, I, we did an article in Eurogamer, and I'm looking at it right now. Dates back to 2013, and it's when Microsoft first came up with the with the power of the cloud concept. The idea that you could have um, cloud servers and the local hardware running in concert to produce, a, a, you know, game-changing experiences. Those game-changing experiences never happened, simply because, well, you know, if you've got a completely separate PC or compute unit located hundreds of miles away, you've got latency and bandwidth implications straight off the bat. Yeah, and you know, there's certain things, you know sort of deferred tasks that you could um, have the cloud do, possibly like lighting, some degree of lighting, possibly physics, mm -hmm. possibly. I just don't really see this as being a foundational concept for, for a next generation console, though. I don't know what you think. 
I'm just going to take from the things that I've seen exist and say maybe they're possible. So I'll say Flight Simulator 2020 maybe has some infer like we can inf inference a bit there and say what that's doing where there's far too much data there. They have an entire representation of the world with all these unique textures and unique buildings and things like that, which they you know, procedurally scatter on top of. But a lot of that is too large, far too large. So they're streaming it in on demand if you have that option set up to get higher fidelity over the, your internet connection when you load up a new area of the world. Or I, I guess it can do it creeping, uh, like if you go along the world at the flight path of like however kilometers an hour that is. So there's that idea. Like it could enable higher fidelity for ridiculously large worlds if you're streaming in things as in more visual, more visual variation because there's, you know, just if you can, if these new Call of Duty games are already bajillion gigabytes and they're just like, just like these like two maps or whatever, just think about, just, you know, just like think about that and you can maybe enable that. And I think, the other thing is the um, you're doing a MMO or a large open world game, and even though I'm for this large open world game thing, I think about what I think it was you who said it last time. Like, do they actually have? Is it really worth it to spin up all this processing time on the side just for like one random user? Is it really worth the amount of money you put in there? Well, it's more to the point. What happens if you've got two hundred thousand users all demanding yeah. that resource simultaneously? I don't know about that. Like that's where it starts getting a little bit pie on the sky for me still. Um, but you could have in like an MMO, I could see it in like a star citizen setting where they, they do this. They, they are, well, that's the idea is that like when you leave an area, the cloud runs simulation on it to when you return back to it. So that's different. Uh, and it's just not less like, it's not like Starfield where you like go to an area and you would see it it would be returned in its pristine state that you last loaded into it, et cetera. So it's like, it's not doing like a seed, but it's actually simulating on that seed. And that's an idea that makes sense for MMOs, but I don't know if it makes sense for single player gaming at all. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oliver? Yeah, I think, I think there are a few concepts here that would be really interesting. Um, you could have like large language model powered AI systems in terms of uh, what you do in the cloud, large language model powered AI systems for dialogue generation, story generation, maybe even just like flavor text, but also you could set up systems where you basically tell the AI, you prompt it with prompts that basically are like, okay, so, you know, respond to the player in idle conversation. Then after a few responses, you get to the meat of the conversation, which is this topic and engage with the player in a friendly way. Like you can, there are all kinds of ways that you can script this that are interesting. Um, other game content, potentially other content, graphics, art, things like this without creating load or memory issues on the console itself, right? Which could be quite severe. Um, in terms of how you'd scale this, I, I think one answer to that would basically be that Microsoft has access to an enormous amount of server hardware and they would simply scale up and scale down load depending on demand, but like they have H100s that can run anything, you know? <laughs> it doesn't need to be game specific mm -hmm. necessarily. So I think that is, it's not an easy uh, problem to solve, but they they could use generalized server capacity, which presumably would be quite capacious, right on their end. Mm -hmm. um, they could yeah. obviously do physics uh, with some some latency to it that might be a little bit of a problem for real time physics and games. But for like larger scale destruction, I'm sure it would work great. Uh, Crackdown obviously demonstrated that we never actually saw that in a shipping title, which is maybe notable. But I think importantly, uh, from my perspective. I don't think there are a ton of concepts that couldn't be done pretty effectively on existing console hardware. 
Uh, I don't think you need anything too special to do this stuff, except maybe you want more predictive stuff on the client side that would require some specialized hardware and, 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 and next generation consoles. But I suspect that most of these concepts you could actually iterate on on local hardware. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, the more I think about it, the more I just go back and look at that article and see that just the bandwidth limitation is is still there, right? It doesn't really matter if you've got a gigabit internet connection, you know, um, you've still got latency to, to the to the cloud server. Um, yeah, it's it's just, you know, what if what if you've got, you know, somebody else in your house using the internet heavily at the same time and it, it, it sort of hammers your game performance. Not everyone right. has gigabit internet. You know, there's so many potential failure points. This is the thing about what's great about the console, right? It's a fixed hardware platform. Its um, outputs are entirely deterministic because every machine is exactly the same, right? Uh, but when you start adding in variables where the developer has no control, you know, all hell, all hell can break loose. I still don't think that we're at this position yet where you can rely 100% on an internet connection uh, for a game experience. And I'm just kind of surprised that it would be sort of wheeled out as a as a brand new concept for for you know a 2028 console console mm -hmm. when you know much was made of this back on Xbox One and just nothing ever happened. And I suspect it didn't happen because um, well, just because of all of these different failure points, potential failure points. I don't know. I'd really like to know what the pitch is. That's the thing about the leaked PDFs, right? You just saw, you know, a presentation. You yeah. didn't get any deep dives into how they're actually going to be doing it or what they're actually doing. That's the other yeah. thing. You don't really know what they're doing. Really interesting given, stuff. Given the timescales here, I think they would need to wheel out a game that's already doing it by around launch time to even make it like a selling point, right? Like here Xbox Series X launched and had like no exclusive games for an eternity and uh you you they they sold it on these certain premises at least but for that that is such a big premise to sell on they would really need to have games already in development now that are looking to use these things mhm mm uh, isn't that right exactly they would start what... now like 5 6 years of development time easily so isn't that exactly what uh Hideo Kojima is doing. Uh, he's doing a cloud-based Xbox project. Wow, that's a good point. Yeah. So mm. may maybe this is some kind of uh, showcase of what this new console will do. Maybe, you know, how long it takes Kojima to make a game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Okay. Or maybe simply, you know, there's nothing, there's no reason. I, I, I don't see any reason why an Xbox Series X couldn't be a, uh, a similar sort of hybrid right? yeah. cloud compute thing to, you know, just doesn't really sort of all add up to me but i guess maybe this kojima game could be quite interesting it could actually maybe show the way let's move on to the next question this one from the source uh, what do you think could be done to educate gamers on the importance of the cpu for game performance the lack of any good cpu benchmarks for games in comparison to the abundance of gpu benchmarks especially for games like starfield and Baldur's gate 3 act 3 is really unfortunate people say i have a 2080 and the game runs bad exclamation point one hmm. <laughs> but then you press them about the cpu and you find out they have an i5 7600k or something more ancient this has been a problem since like you know forever really i, I do remember when um uh intel came out with this amazing um pentium chip a dual core chip it only had two cores but it had an unlocked multiplier i think it was the g 3258 might be wrong there but you know people were connecting it up to the to like titans 
And, uh, you know, basically the, the suggestion was, oh, you don't really need a strong CPU. That's definitely not the case now these days, Alex. With CPU bound in a, yeah. a huge amount of different games, even on, on good mainstream processors. So what can right. de game developers do to actually point out, hey, you know, this, this is not a problem with your GPU, it's the CPU? Um, I think what was happening in Immortals of Avium is an interesting idea of scoring the CPU somehow in the in the menu and then letting users understand that, oh, actually, you're going to be sub-60 with your current settings or just by default um, based upon that little score in the menu. And mm. that would be, they could figure out how to do that, but I'm pretty sure they could do it really easily. They could figure that out really easily. They would know just like from playing the game, they would have an idea of like, how a Core i9, whatever, plays this one scene at certain amount of FPS. You can just, I've, I've pretty much always seen it now where like the Core i9-12900K is pretty much always just about 2x whatever the Ryzen 5 3600 is. It's like yeah. pretty much always 2x uh, because most games are single-threaded. Um, <laughs> it would be a lot more if they were more multi-threaded. Uh, so that is an interesting thing. I think developers could do it in the settings menu for sure. Okay. Do you think there's maybe a... Uh... <laughs> maybe something that developers could do. Let's say you're in a period of gameplay where there's a, sus a sustained period of poor performance because your CPU limited. Could there be like some sort of on-screen prompt that says, maybe maybe you should the be Call of Duty about games <laughs> do that, right? Don't the Call of Duty games do that? Where they have like that little barometer icon that can pop up that says like frame swap or frame something don't they don't they have that am i, I making don't know this i've up? played it on pc i haven't played on the time. pc in a while but i swear that is a thing they actually have as an option uh and so like you know if you're having an internet connection issue or if you know if your gpu's pooping itself so i think i think that's what they got and i think they could do that and it would be a really good idea for like say like there'd just be like a cpu fire this is like you'd show a cpu and it'd say fire um, I think that would be really amazing uh, and it could be on by default so people would have to turn it off uh, so they would get an understanding of it before they go to Steam uh, and make a better... I, I like the movie. idea. I think it needs to be more blatant though. Yes. You know, <laughs> upgrade your CPU. <laughs> you know, I suppose the, so uh, the, the user could shout back, optimize your game. <laughs> but, yeah, or they could take the Unreal 2K4 approach and just do a holy shit. <laughs> uh, when you turn up the menu uh, graphic options to epic or ultra that'd be great <laughs> any thoughts on this one Oliver it's a tricky one mm -hmm. because typically when poor performance is typically associated with a GPU limitation and in most scenarios it is but we're seeing a number of scenarios these days particularly you know on an Unreal game running ray tracing for example where the CPU gets absolutely hammered mm. and uh, it's not immediately visible to the user because you know if you turn on ray tracing you think okay well this is a big uh, tax on my on my GPU, right? Maybe I need a new GPU. Yeah, I think it's tough. I think that metrics do help a lot in this case, and I'm specifically kind of pondering the idea of uh, trying to re-educate people about the concept of frame health, or maybe more specifically mm -hmm. what we used to call micro stutters. <laughs> you know, frame rate uh, latency spikes, because a lot of CPU problems do present that way in games. And I think people don't really understand them when they do occur. Obviously, a lot of those are related to shader compilation, but the ones that aren't are um, worth certainly worth addressing. Um, maybe with some mm -hmm. metric, I think it would be helpful. So maybe there's some metric <laughs> that people could implement across games 
to indicate uh, poor CPU performance, some kind of flag, um, or to indicate uh, poor frame consistency, so getting a lot of frames that are over a certain latency threshold. Um, but that's a very, very old problem, like dating back to 2011, 2012, dating it back a long time when people first became acutely aware of these issues. So it's it's really mm -hmm. tough for me to imagine something actually occurring. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, let's move on to the next question. This one from Aaron Mayo. Lenovo recently told a reviewer that the job of frame rate limiters should not fall on hardware manufacturers, but instead is the responsibility of game developers. Do you agree? Feels like universal mm. solutions like the Steam Decks with proper half, third, uh, quarter V-Sync with decent frame pacing would widely benefit the industry from hardware manufacturers through to developers and consumers. Better performing games with smooth frame rates is in the interest, in the best interests of all parties, surely. I'm sick of having to install Special K to get acceptable performance on PC. I'm sick of blame being passed around. Uh, what do? Alex, what, yeah, interesting to get into that question. What do? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like a Lenin quote. Um, the, wow. Uh, I so the funny thing is I just complain about it on both aspects. Like whenever I see a f no frame limiter in a game, I always go like, "Where's the frame limiter?" I just said that for Starfield, um, because I don't think people can rely inherently on those solutions like Special K. And if you have an AMD card, you can't rely on it. Uh, it period, because there isn't really that support at the moment. So mm. I want to say it's like both. I want to say like given the current situation we have in and you know it's talked about it before steam deck and also nvidia when you turn on that half one third one fourth vsync you technically getting a higher level of input latency than you would by doing a less perhaps a less stable frame rate cap yeah and so it's hard it's a trade-off at that point in time and i think it's just about enabling more options for the user so i would really like to actually see both in this case. I would love to see the, the hardware manufacturer taking it seriously, just like Steam Deck and NVIDIA did. I don't even remember. I think it's almost like a, more than a decade old that actually NVIDIA added in half refresh rate VSync into the driver. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that would be great also if um, the, especially at, at this point in time, it's like, so the game developer has the ability to expose it in the menu, but it also needs to be done right on the engine level. So Unreal Engine 5, I still honestly don't know if it's actually done correctly on the engine level there. I don't think it actually is. I think I think there are games where it definitely does function correctly. Okay, um, I, I can't so off the top of my head, no. I just get the idea that when you're really taxing a, a GPU at the frame rate limit, it has trouble with... Um, with getting good frame consistency uh, with yeah. a frame rate limiter. That's that's what I think. I mean, I played last game Unreal Engine that I played that it seemed to work just fine was uh, Remnant 2. It seemed all right there. And that was on okay. uh, on a handheld. Uh, but yeah, interesting. <sighs> mm. Uh, mm. I kind of see where this is coming from because Lenovo obviously have their Legion device coming, which is a handheld in the vein of uh, ROG Ally, Steam Deck, etc. Now, Steam Deck, Valve are completely in control of the operating system. They can add this hardware level feature that um, that actually works quite nicely, gives you more options. It's a bit trickier on the Windows side of things, I'd say. And you do end up having, you know, obviously to look at stuff like Special K in a lot of instances to get properly uh, frame paced, good frame rate limits there. Mm. I don't know what to say about this. I wonder whether it's something that the GPU 
um, could, uh, could could do better in terms of its control panel options. I mean, we've got the latent sync option on um, Special K, which is which seems to be able to deliver a good half rate V-Sync uh, with far less of a latency penalty than NVIDIA's solution. Maybe it should be AMD and NVIDIA looking to what Special K is doing and coming up with control panel solutions. Mm -hmm. uh, possibly a control panel that's you know more readily accessible in game. Um, hmm. So you can actually experiment with these options. Uh, something has to be done. I'm not sure... Yeah, leaving it to game developers is is the best solution, though. Do you have any ideas on this one, Oliver? Uh, not not too many. I I agree with Alex that it's very important to get it in hardware and very important to get it in the games themselves. But I would maybe say that it's more important to get it in the hardware on some level, just because games are so inconsistent with how they handle frame rate caps. Some of the frame rate caps suck. Like I, I just think getting that up to a good level on all games is going to be a little bit more of a difficult task. And I agree that maybe someone should partner with Caldean <laughs> for yeah, right? a better solution, maybe a simple overlay version, if that could be accommodated, or a version that's compatible with like custom launchers. That would be cool. Um, mm -hmm. I, so yeah, I think games should offer better FPS caps. I think hardware vendors should offer better FPS caps. I think Lenovo probably should offer a good FPS cap. But um, yeah. Being, mm -hmm. being realistic, I think that probably this, the onus is a little bit more on the hardware vendor, just because it's uh, it's a it's a comprehensive solution potentially. Yeah, right. in terms of the desktop GPU, I mean, I would love to have a you know an integrated version of Special K in the NVIDIA and AMD control panels, a simplified version because it's actually quite dense, and the, the you know the full fat experience. Dare I say it? Because um, it's 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 just a brilliant tool. You know, it's transformative for PC gaming in many respects. Um, but yeah, what do? I just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's that would be my preferred route forward. Now let's move on to the final question, this one from Dylan. There is an incredible amount of computing happening when I play a game. <laughs> so why am I still manually tuning graphics <laughs> settings like a caveman? <laughs> Couldn't the DLSSs all work together to adjust themselves to hit a target frame rate? The quote-unquote auto setting in DLSS 2 seems to be just another name for performance at 4K it output is. resolution, which is exactly what it is. This is it's, exactly what it is. It's, for, it's performance mode at 4K, balanced at 1440p, and quality at 1080p, and I suspect lower. Uh, Alex, what do you yeah. think about this? I, I, I am reminded... I think I mentioned this in a direct a couple of weeks back of Forza Horizon 3, which seems to have auto settings management. Yeah, um, right. That actually works quite well. But yeah, actually, this is an interesting point where, you know, if you've got these phenomenal AI capabilities built into, you know, the, the latest GPUs, why can't they be thinking out the, the best settings for us? I guess they really, really could. Um, I mean, NVIDIA and AMD are now like, to a certain degree recommending settings and, and you know we know about it through those nvidia profiles you can optionally click on yeah. if you install geforce experience and i always unclick that um because i think they're not very transparent uh because i don't even think they try and go for um like a consistent 60 fps i think they go for like an unlocked 60. yeah I think that was the last time when I tried them that what it was what it was doing. So it wasn't like an experience that I thought was great. And I think really it's a hard problem to solve though, because each game has different settings. 
each game has settings that may or may not actually have anything to do with your GPU uh, yeah. or anything to do with your CPU, which is maybe like we talked in three questions ago or two questions ago about like how that's actually the biggest limiting factor in a lot of things. So this is a hard one. I, I would love it to be done, though. Like, why couldn't there be an AI program that recognizes your refresh rate target and then works from there to dial things back? I think the DLSS auto, the auto mode on DLSS is really dumb, though. I really wish it were different. I really wish uh, DLSS could actually just DRS by default without the developer doing anything, because in that they have the ability to switch between the levels uh at the you know whenever they want why can't they also just switch between the levels in real time based upon driver metrics of what the current performance is mm. i mean and uh doesn't amd has the ability with their hyper rx uh gpu boost to re re reduce the resolution of a game in a really disgusting way when you move your mouse but they have the ability to do that. It tells you that they have the ability based upon some sort of metric to adjust the resolution mm. in a game. And that's really interesting. And I think that could be applied to other metrics that are more relevant than your mouse movement. Uh, maybe like the actual, like we have the ability to see GPU utilization and we have the ability to see the current frame rate of the current frame. Like surely these things could be done at a driver level in a much more interesting way, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think also typically it, it is the case that when I'm looking at optimized settings, it isn't actually a huge amount of settings that have game-changing performance differentials. Right. To, you know, so it's basically that maybe that could help here in that it would be, you know, basically tweaking um, the ones that have the most impact to frame time. That would possibly be a way to, to make the process a bit more easier to manage. Uh -huh. I don't know. It's certainly an interesting concept. Uh, Oliver? Yeah, I think that... Just reading through this question, real-time adjustment of game settings might not be a super great idea for a few reasons. Obviously, I think we saw that in the Forza Horizon games, but we don't often see that even on on consoles in terms of uh, like a continuous adjustment of, of actual visual right. settings to hit a certain target. Yeah. And I think it's probably less intrusive, especially with upsamplers these days and targeting very high resolutions as we are. To just adjust um, output resolution, or not output resolution, but uh, adjust input resolution, hopefully, and achieve the this a similar result that way. Um, automatic tuning of settings though would be great, but perhaps as a one-off adjustment and not a continuous adjustment. Um, in terms of the dynamic resolution question, I think the dynamic res should be something that's more common on PC and tracks very closely with GPU load in a way that's appropriate to maintaining a stable frame rate. Um, and it would be great to see that in a game in a way that's uh, game agnostic. But one potential issue there is that PC players don't really seem to want dynamic res as much. And it seems like there's a right. bit more of an emphasis on having absolute control over game settings. Whereas I tend to favor the more console-like approach of saying, well, make it look good, hit these framework metrics. And then the internal resolution of the game is a lot less important to me, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was just thinking, actually, Elden Ring seems to have some kind of uh, dynamic settings adjustment based on Tom's content. It just doesn't right. seem to, to work particularly well. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, that's the other thing is, you know, this real-time settings adjustment, what would happen with latency? You know, it would have to basically be predicting that you're going to be encountering a GPU-heavy scene and adjust stuff accordingly. I think it is definitely going to have to be a game implementation 
and and yeah i think basically if you're a specific and hopefully higher resolution dynamic resolution scaling just solves a lot of problems a lot more easily mm -hmm. uh, but certainly interested to see whether there's anything in this and whether there's anything that uh uh that nvidia might be able to do with dlss ultimately though i think you know the concept of what alex is doing with optimized settings is that you're getting that performance back all the time yeah uh, which should give you more consistent performance overall so yeah yeah i, I mean I, it definitely it seems to be the case that i think uh, there should be a way for users to have easier accessibility to consistent frame rates and frame times i think that's that's a given um, but that's it. That's the last question. Therefore, the end of the show. Please do like, subscribe, share if you enjoyed it. Ring the bell for notifications. A DF supporter program. Um, yeah, I mean, get involved. DF Direct Weekly. Privileges there. Early access. Ability to ask questions. Uh, bonus materials. Early access on other content. Uh, there's a lot going on there. And um, yeah, get a weekly update as well from me every single week, which tells you exactly what we're up to at any given point. And uh, you can also... Uh, suggest things that you'd like for us to, to take a look at. It's pretty awesome. But that's all from us for this week. Thanks for watching. <laughs>